this is Kelly Coffey, CEO of City National Bank. As we all continue to shelter in place and do our part to stop the spread, I hope you and your families are healthy and safe. While we're forced to remain physically distant from one another, it's important we use technology to stay connected and inspire each other. That's why we're excited to bring you yet another installment of our podcast for a conversation with an incredible leader. City National has a long history of bringing our clients and colleagues special access to many inspiring leaders in different industries for candid, off-the-record conversations, and today's guest is no different. Dr. Patrick Sunshong is an accomplished and renowned leader in the medical industry, a generous philanthropist, and successful business owner. Originally from South Africa, he moved to the United States and began surgical training right here at UCLA. Throughout his career, he's made unbelievable contributions to the medical community, most notably discovered and developed the drug Abraxane, which has received FDA approval for the treatment of metastatic breast cancer, lung cancer, and advanced pancreatic cancer. In 2018, he purchased the LA Times, one of the most critical institutions in Southern California keeping us all informed during the pandemic, and now most recently on the civil unrest. So today, Dr. Sunchong is doing his part to share knowledge and provide leadership during this pandemic caused by coronavirus. We have a lot to get to today, so I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Patrick onto the show. Welcome, and thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank you for having me, Kelly. So I wanted to start a little bit, just to give a little background. We have we have so much we can talk about today, but you obviously were, were born and spent your early life in South Africa. So just give us just a quick tidbit. What was it like growing up there? Well, you know, I was born in the apartheid, so it was interesting, especially as we sort of go through today's and the empathy of understanding racial injustice. But having said that, you know, I'm grateful for the country. It allowed me to grow, become a doctor, and then I left. Um, but it gave me great empathy to understand the underserved, and the and I spent time with the kids at the Baraguanath, and I left, volunteered during the Soweto riot, so I understood very much what happens with injustice. But uh, as I said, the, it's a beautiful country. It allowed me to grow and came, come to this magnificent American dream. Yeah, well, I'm sure that there's incredible things that you've seen that will help you steer the organizations you're involved with. So you did come here to study, but before that, when did, did you decide at some point that you had a passion for medicine? Was that always your goal? Well, uh, my, my father was a herbalist from China in South Africa. And what he did was provide literally Chinese medicines to the community. And I would sit on the counter, watch him make those medicines. And inspired that's what I would do. I'd become a doctor. And so from the, I think the age of 12, that's what I wanted to do. Close to home. I like yeah. that. <laughs> and, and I know you graduated with very high honors from Wits University in Johannesburg. And when you think about your education and your love of medicine, when you, you attended medical school in South Africa, so what was like, what, what, how was that, what did you take away from that part of your education that you brought here? Well, I think uh, the other thing I'm grateful for, the, the, the training was magnificent because it's a seven-year program from high school into medical school. So I went from high school right into medical school. You had to decide very early then. <laughs> yeah. You're not kidding. No, you're not kidding. You yeah. just make that decision. And, and there's a quota. So there was a quota for Chinese and only two or three could get in. And then I um, was the first Chinese ever to be able to be approved to work in a white hospital as the first intern in the Chansburg General Hospital. Wow. So I became that intern and uh, then left to come to this country. That must have been incredible to be the only one in that hospital. Um, so so fast forward, you, you then decide to come to the United States and study at 
UCLA's medical school. So what made you make that decision to say, I'm leaving South Africa, I'm going to the U.S. and specifically to UCLA? Yeah, I, I took a little detour. I, I got recruited to Vancouver, British Columbia. I did a master's then. And while I was a um, junior resident, surgical resident, I got recruited to UCLA as a residency program, which is very unusual. And then finished my residency and became assistant professor. Ah, so you taught at UCLA too. Yeah. So UCLA is has been at the home as opposed to USC, but <laughs> that's right. That's right. There's a big, bigger part, but UCLA is great. It's an amazing, we're, we're lucky to have both of them in Southern California. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's incredible. Every time I talk to you, I feel like you've lived a million lives in one life because you've done so many incredible things. But I was also on the advisory board of the school of engineering for USC. So there we go. Okay, so you had your best there, Patrick. You're making all our USC <laughs> listeners feel really good. I know. I just want to make sure nobody gets upset. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you, you, you were obviously really successful in medicine. You were teaching. And then was it, what brought you back to driving you to think about discovering new drugs? And I'd love to talk a little bit about the cancer work you did. Yeah, well, you know what? It's interesting. The, the courses that your life takes as you... Um, while I was at UCLA, I, I, um, as even as assistant professor, I literally got bored. I was a surgeon. So I applied to NASA, and I won a big, big award from NASA and this and became a NASA scientist while I was a surgeon and put stuff in the space shuttle program and was developing things like nanoparticles and nanotechnology and stem cells. And Lee Iacocca was the chairman of uh, Chrysler at that point in time, and his wife had died of diabetes and he wrote this book on leadership. And he visited my lab and says, there's no way you're going to survive as an academic. You've got to get out of that. And I, he's never done that before, will create a company. He's still chairman and CEO of Chrysler and um, sit on the board. And you've got to go into the private sector and actually build this treatment for diabetes. And I had no idea what I was doing, but he said he was going to guide me through that. So that's how I left the university for a short stint. And then I came back with that's how that started the entrepreneurial career. That started you getting in that direction. And then what brought you to cancer? Well, I think I was both a transplant surgeon and a, and a cancer doctor. And I soon realized that um, transplant and cancer, the yin and the yang, when I was doing transplant, I was trying to prevent the organ from being rejected. And cancers figured out a way to actually hide in your body and not be rejected. And the overriding commonality here was your immune system. So I became fascinated by the immune system. And I realized in 1990 that the cell that protects all of us is the thing, cell called the natural killer cell. But nobody talks about the cell called the natural killer cell. T cells are very famous, but natural killer cells nobody knew about. So crazy me, I studied natural killer cells. And it became very clear that if I could activate natural killer cells, we could change the paradigm of cancer and infectious disease, and COVID, and HIV, and TB, because it's the same cell that actually um, addresses all these diseases. And that would satisfy me because that means I didn't need to do one single thing. I could actually cross <laughs> all of medicine <laughs> and, and try and address that. So cancer was the first, but we're treating patients with HIV, we're treating patients now with COVID, and we're treating patients with cancer, and we treat patients with osteoarthritis because it's all inflammation. It's all about the immune system. So let's talk a little bit about COVID because, I mean, did you ever imagine something like this could happen that would shut down the world, basically? Sadly, that's what I've been saying for the last 10 years. So you knew it could 
and wood. Yeah, I mean, I've been talking about things that would wipe out mankind, right? I mean, so the Spanish flu and um, would come back again. Uh, then the most important non-infectious diseases, cancer, uh, drug-resistant TB, and all of these sayings actually had a common treatment arm, which is activating your T cells and your natural killer cells. So everything we've been doing at Immunity Bio has been to try and address life-threatening diseases that could wipe out mankind. And excite, to me, it's, just, it's, it's, a, it's a nightmare for all of us. But it's a scientific um, dream in the sense that we, we can understand COVID now. The way I think about it, COVID is like cancer. COVID is a virus. It enters your receptors just like cancer in your body. It metastasizes, it grows, it takes over many organs in your body, and it's found a way to evade the immune system. That's what cancer does, and this is what COVID does. And so when COVID happened in January, we took the sequence and jumped right on top of it. So when, you, when you're treating COVID, how, how effective is it? What are you doing? And do you feel like we've come along that we actually are pretty good at treating this illness before we get to vaccines, et cetera. How are we doing at treating it? Well, I think the way to think about treating it, the way, the, the way I look at COVID is green, yellow, red, or green, orange, and red. Green means you're not infected and we need to go find a vaccine to prevent you getting infected. Orange is when you get an infection and how do we treat you before you actually get replication to go into the ICU? And then red is when you're in the ICU. And happily, we have treatments. We at Immunity Bio now and have now built in Antworks have built treatments across each one of these elements. We'll come back to the vaccine. But in the early stages, first thing is to do is to find a way to block this virus, even though you're infected, to replicate. And the reason we think this virus replicates is it attacks your immune system. So your natural killer cells and your T cells are depleted. This is one of the viruses that wipes out your immune system. So we have a protein called IL-15. You can inject like a flu shot and upregulate your NK cells. So IND, uh, the FDA has given us authority now, and those are in trials as we speak. They're in trials. So they're not being used right now, but they're in trials to be used. They're being used for cancer. So they've received breakthrough status for cancer, of bladder cancer, and for lung cancer. And that's in trials on the cancer side. <laughs> so now you see the commonality. It's basically your immune system. We can figure out to activate your immune system. Yeah. And so that's one treatment. Then when you get into ICU, you basically have the storm of your own bodies trying to take over and react. And then patients go into respiratory failure and need to be in ventilator. Mm-hmm. So we have developed a cell called the mesenchymal stem cell that people use to prevent osteoarthritis. I, I don't know if you remember these athletes going and they get these injections in the knee called PRP. It turns out there's a cell called the mesenchymal stem cell. So we have, for the last two years, been building these stem cells and injecting them in Europe for patients with osteoarthritis. So these mesenchymal stem cells, when you inject them intravenously, They'll go to the lung and they'll tamp down the cytokine storm. So they did six patients like this in China and in Wuhan when they first started, and the patients were able to come out of ICU rapid. So that has also just been approved by the, by the FDA for us to go into trials. So these are the two on the treatment side and the, on the ICU side. But really the big, big question is, I think what we should do is talk about the vaccine, but I also want to talk about why people, why, why are we getting this infection? Why are we getting this surge in LA? And 
what do we need to understand about what you call asymptomatic disease? Definitely. Like, I think that would be interesting to understand. And then we can talk about a vaccine. Okay. So, so I think it's important for people to understand, and there's been a lot of misinformation out there, but let me give you the information from a science perspective and now a very validated science. First of all, this is clearly a droplet and aerosol infection. So you got to be very, very careful in closed spaces. This idea of six feet is not even sufficient. These aerosols can actually go. Secondly, this is one of the most infective viruses, meaning it gets in and it goes into a receptor called the ACE2 receptor. But you have this receptor, unfortunately, in your body, in your nose, your mouth, your lungs, your GI tract, your blood vessels, your kidneys, your hearts. So that is why this is such a devastating virus because it touches these receptors in all these cells in your body. So one, infectivity rate with this virus is huge. Secondly, it goes into many organs in your body. So the loss of taste and smell is one of the first things, but it's because it actually hits, again, your nose. And then when it goes into your lungs, it goes very much into the deep lung. And what's amazing about this virus, it turns off your immune system so you don't feel sick. So with these young people that are, feel that they're asymptomatic, and so it's okay, we'll get this as like a flu, it turns out 57% of them have this ground glass lung. What that means, if you do a CAT scan, you'll see this fibrosis throughout their lung. They don't even feel it. So this virus has figured out a way so you don't feel sick. That's why this virus is dangerous. That's why it spreads because people don't feel sick and you don't know whether you're positive or not. And the young people think, well, okay, we'll just be, we'll just be fine. And the answer is you will not be fine because when you have this ground glass effect, you could end up with what we call COBD. You could even end up with lung cancer. So it's like smoking asbestos. So that message has to go out. Uh, and then, you know, now you see that the age of you just heard a 21-year-old died in the ICU and a 41-year-old died in the ICU. It then goes to the blood vessels and then goes, now you could start seeing the blood clots. You just saw the, the, the amputations that occur. So it's a dreadful disease, the, 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 this virus, and how it works. I, I had a conversation with Gavin Newsom at, uh, as early as uh, February and said, we have to shut down the state. And we were, and he did the right thing. Unfortunately, I think we, when we opened this message of getting to the young people that look social distancing and masking, and you know, we did the series in the early times, the science behind coronavirus. I'm going to ask you about that. Yeah, and I tried to even explain the difference in masks. There's masks with ventilators and masks without ventilators. And we have a mask with a ventilator. It doesn't help the person next to you because it may be easier to breathe, but you're now pushing the, those droplets out. Mm -hmm. So these are the kinds of things that we need to understand from how this virus works. So what can we do about it? Well, I think um, by pushing it down and we don't overwhelm the healthcare system and wearing masks and social distancing and the signs of soap, if you go to that series I try to do, is to wait for the vaccine. Now, I have concerns about the vaccine, so we can talk about that. Before we get to the vaccine, it's been interesting because I think you're right, the right information isn't out there. If you're asymptomatic, you, you feel that it doesn't affect you. So people are saying that they feel like it affects all different people differently, and they always point to a pre-existing condition. And what you're saying is not really. It goes in a, it goes in a lot of different places. Yeah, and you know, this 21-year-old young lady just, just passed away, no pre-existing condition. You know, the, the youngest child that just passed away real recently. So 
And also the virus is mutated now, even while in the United States. And the basis of the mutation, by the way, it, it increased the infectivity of the virus. So this virus is adapting to us, is figuring out a way to adapt, which is even scarier. We need that vaccine. How are we doing? So, okay. So this is what's distressing to me because it's like lemmings. The virus has two types of proteins, one on the outside called the spike and one on the inside called the nucleus. And everybody jumped on the spike because it was just sort of easy to not only find, but easy, theoretically easy to create an antibody against the spike. So the, the consideration was you have this virus with the spike, the spike's what enters into the cell. If you block the spike with an antibody, you have, voila, you have a vaccine. Problem number one, when patients get infected with coronavirus, and paper just got published, there's very little, little antibodies in their blood, and they recover, and why? Because they've actually it's the T cells that have killed it. Problem number two, when you generate antibodies, you don't know how long it lasts. Hmm. Problem number three, you don't know what level of antibodies. Problem number four, the antibodies could actually bind to the virus but not block it. It binds, but it doesn't block it going in. If it does that, it actually makes it worse because then when you get the next infection, the virus actually uses the antibodies to get into your, into your system. It's called antibody enhancement disease. Oh, no. So then, <laughs> I'm sorry okay. to do this to you, but you ask for it. <laughs> yes. But I think it's important for you because you'll have a sophisticated audience that you can educate this about and they can validate the science. And then finally, if you have um, a vaccine that actually reduces your symptoms but doesn't protect, meaning doesn't reduce your viral load, we may be inducing then with vaccines just on the spike, super spreaders. Think about that. You get the vaccine, you feel well. The virus is infected you, so you don't even feel it anymore. Mm -hmm. But you produce infectious viruses. So the solution, frankly, is twofold. One, to have not just antibodies, but also to induce T cells. And what we discovered, the only way to induce T cells, or one of the ways to induce T cells, is to create a, a T cell response to the innards of the virus called the nucleus capsid. And it's hard to believe there's 134 developers of vaccines. We are the only ones out of the 134 that's still N plus S. Really? They're just, nobody else is focused on the nucleus? Nobody else is doing it. And I scratch my head because, and all the warp speed money and everything else has gone to all the S's. So what people are now, and you, you, you start listening to Anthony Forti and you're starting to lay out bread, breadcrumbs that we don't know how long this vaccine will work. Uh, we don't know how long the duration of the vaccine. And basically, in my opinion, it's trying to send the message in terms of expectations of what this vaccine will do. Meaning this is a first generation vaccine, we're going to get it and get it out to you by the year end. Unfortunately, there's now polls that say 71% of Americans won't take the vaccine. That doesn't help us. And those that do take the vaccine, if it's not fully effective and just become super spreaders, that doesn't help us. Which then says, that really, that's why you know, I'm exhausted, but I'm really I'm working on the S plus N. Now, the third element of protection is that this virus comes in through your nose, your mouth, your gut, your lungs. All of that is called the mucosa, so on your mouth. So there's a different kind of antibody in your mucosa called IgA. Mm -hmm. So that's what we call mucosal immunity. And any of all of these vaccines don't give you mucosal immunity. 
So you need the third thing. You need mucosal immunity, you need T-cell immunity, you need antibody. The only way to get mucosal immunity is you have to figure out a way to actually put through your nose or, or have a capsule. Mm. So we are developing the capsule and the S plus the N. So our vaccine is a capsule of S plus N, which will give us hopefully mucosal immunity. It'll give you T-cell immunity and it'll give you antibody. And that's what we're racing for. But there's a lot of people out there who are taking these antibody tests, whether they're accurate or not, and feeling like just because they have high antibodies, they're okay. And what you're saying is actually not, it's not true. Well, if you're recovering and you have high antibodies, it actually disappears after a while. And, you know, you know, most of these antibodies, the good news in those patients, we've tested convalescent serum on patients, are what we call neutralizing, meaning they do block the entry. Mm-hmm. And the younger you are, the higher the antibodies, it looks like, because we've taken different um, convalescent serum from different patients from different ages. But at the end of the day, the T cells is really what, what really is going to protect you for what I call long-term memory. But um, are you hopeful <laughs> that we're going to get there with your work? Well, the good news is we've created this capsule. And I don't want to make it too public, but two human beings already taken this capsule. And we've already shown uh, antibodies in the, the patient's or the healthy volunteer's saliva. So I am hopeful. Yeah, yeah no, no, I'm really hopeful. And how long do you think... So I know we may have something by the end of the year, but until for the, what do you think in terms of time frame for something like that? Well, we've manufactured in Los Angeles the drug substance already, tens and tens and tens of millions of doses available. I'm now going through the process of um, testing it, the capsule versus the injectable form. We were supported by BADA and BADA is funding the, what they call non-human primate studies. And I'm putting all that data together and filing with the FDA for an IND. But I'm also moving towards other countries now, in both Europe and we've been talking to Brazil. And this morning, uh, yesterday, I was on the phone with Singapore um, and South Africa. And I just got a call from the Philippines today. I think wherever I can go fastest, because this is so important, and I may go faster out of the country than in the country, there's a lot of competition for resources of patients and everything else, but, but I'm going to do, do, do a sad, move as fast as we can. So let's also um, talk about the LA Times a little bit. And I want to talk about leadership and owning a business. But before I get there, before we leave coronavirus, I mean, you mentioned it. And I just want to make sure everybody um, knows that you did launch a video series called The Science Behind Coronavirus. So why did you do that? And, and how is it helping? How is it going so far? Well, the first series was me trying to explain just what this was. And really, my whole goal of the first series was to explain to people about soap. I know it sounds crazy, but soap is a detergent. This is an RNA virus that has a capsule. And literally, the detergent will kill this virus. So simple thing as soap. That did very well. I think like two point something million views, which surprised me, actually, that somebody listened to the science behind coronavirus. But it went on YouTube and the LA Times did a great, great job. Uh, then the second one was who series was to talk about the treatments and really go deep into, you know, what's a vaccine? What's the difference between humoral and cell immunity? And what's, what is uh, this SARS? What happens when you go to the ICU and ventilation? And now I think we're ready to do the third. And the third is really for me to answer not only questions uh, from an audience, um, and then an ongoing series where we actually bring experts on. And I want to launch with uh, Anna, who's around there, and, and uh, Chris and Norm, 
a, a column called the second opinion, uh, in which really we talk about medical information across the board from cancer to, to COVID to HIV and provide educational tools and, and inspiration and hope. I think that's brilliant. I think that'll be fantastic. So talk a little bit about why were you interested in acquiring the LA Times? What made you do that? <laughs> well, I was a newspaper, I'm still am, right? A news junkie. And in South Africa, one of my jobs was, believe it or not, sitting in a printing press, capturing bundles of newspaper and running that down and selling newspapers. So it was really in my blood, literally in my blood. But you look, I, um, I live here. This is probably one of the most important regional papers in the country. Papers were dying. Um, it wasn't a philanthropic exercise. It was really uh, an exercise to not only give back, but really try and build this paper back to what it was. And, you know, we've gotten a team now, and Norm's done an amazing job. And, um, and you see Anna's now there with us and Chris and, and Julia and Shani and Sewell. So we've added uh, fantastic new blood to the organization and thank you for your help and support. And we're, we're happy to be partners. No, this is uh, an important paper, especially now, uh, really especially now. Especially now, you, you can getting facts out that, you know, we talked about coronavirus, but it's, 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 it's a place where people will turn to for answers, right? It's, it's showing leadership. It really is showing leadership, and it can't be more important time now to show leadership, right? I mean, leadership in many ways. Um, I was just on the call this morning about leadership with CNN. And, you know, let's talk about different elements. Racism, for example, you know, um, I lived it. I personally lived it. I understand racial slurs. I understand the nuances of what you call bias, or implicit or unconscious bias. And I wrote a letter to the Black Caucus and to our readers and to our staff about how they must feel and how we as a paper, truly as a paper and as a voice, can take ownership of leadership of actually trying to unwind injustice. I, I, I think what's exciting now for the first time, there's a conversation that is not just white and black. It's a conversation about kindness. You know, I was thinking, oh, imagine having a police organization that you have to pass a kindness caution. And, and because we've been trained, the, the police have been trained, frankly, to look at citizens as combatants, uh, as opposed to be trained as lifeguards. So these are the kinds of things that I think uh, LA Times can take leadership on. Inequality in terms of economic and food even, right? Food insecurity, and you should look at what it is now. Uh, my daughter is passionate about it, and I'll come to you. She wants to launch a universal basic income yep. in Los Angeles. Good idea. And we could take leadership you know, between LA Times and the bank and, and how they get paid and how people get paid and how you can monitor it. That's, that's leadership that's needed. If you look at COVID, you look at the differences in states, that's all about leadership. In cities, it's all about leadership. In the country, it's all about leadership. Compare us to Taiwan, compare us to, um, to places like Korea, I, it's all about leadership. I think Gavin Newsom, for example, took on very quickly this very strong leadership role, made the right moves, created surge hospitals. And if we, if we had in, in, you know, prepared uh, the country and had somebody stood up who could engender trust, uh, and our leadership is also about trust. So I think all of these things uh, now is probably the most important time of our lifetimes, right, to bring all this forward. Absolutely. It's, it's critically needed. And talking about racism, diversity, inclusion, it's a, it's, a, it's a focus. I think this moment happened in a moment where everybody was 
kind of sitting at home. And and I think in some ways that may have helped gather the attention. But when you think about it, it's a major topic at every organization. We spend, you know, we are work on it every single day at City National Bank. How do we make sure we're diverse and we're inclusive and we're fostering that that environment? How are you addressing that at the organ, not just the LA Times, but across all the companies that you own? Are there other recommendations or that you have. Well, one of the things I am proud about, right? I mean, um, let's just talk about LA Times first. Um, we've looked at the numbers, right? I think we have a 40%, which is remarkable, right? Uh, 40% of our employees of color are diverse, which is wonderful. Um, I think we have to be conscious of what I call the unconscious bias. You know, I think even headlines like the words looting, we, we, we need to think about why are we saying that word versus emphasizing the other side of it. Uh, so it goes all the way from the editorial to, um, and really meaning it, you know. Uh, I think what's actually come to the consciousness of a lot of people is, how crazy would it be that you're lying in your bed? Imagine you're lying in your bed and you get killed lying in your bed. Somebody walking through the door, crashing through the door and shooting you based on your color. Yeah. And you wouldn't believe that's in this country, but that's exactly what's happened, right? Elijah McCain, this little kid, this beautiful little kid that plays the violin for animals because they're lonely, is shot and killed and not shot and killed, is strangled and killed and then shot with a drug because he's scared. 140 pound old kid. I think when people see that, they say, okay, wait, wait a minute, something's, something's not right. And if you really believe that something's not right, and I do believe in the goodness of American people, right? I mean, that's why we hear uh, inherently good people, inherently really um, people that are very philanthropic and very giving. And if they find something that's not right, deep in their core, they're going to fix it. And I think we've reached that flexion point. It's taken a decade or taken more than a decade, three or four decades. But we've hit a flexion point that I think truly the positiveness is there's going to be maybe real change. So we need to lead at LA Times to do that. Uh, we lead by nature at Nantworks, um, my head of my HR. And I say this, not trying to flatter you, but women make the difference. <laughs> I, I really mean that. If you put women in positions of strength and authority and leadership, that's where the empathy and the, the leadership uh, comes from, right? The nurturing by nature. And we consciously or unconsciously have women in significant positions of authority in our organization. It's a good way to do it. And I, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad the LA Times is going to take leadership on that topic. Well, one of the other things on a little bit of a lighter topic that City National <laughs> <laughs> and you have a strong passion for is supporting food, food and beverage industry. So... I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about that because it is important, especially at this time of COVID, to support all of our locally owned restaurants. I mean, we we did something at City National where we gathered all of our clients that were delivering food or different things, and we made sure we put them on our internet site so that City National colleagues can order. And I've ordered food from a lot of locally you know owned and and to support our clients during this. But but you also. Um, are doing a lot in the LA Times to encourage Angelinos to eat locally and support our restaurants. So, so talk a little bit about that, because that's important today too. No, I, th I completely agree. And thank you for doing what you're doing in, in that way, because you know, it is important. These are really small businesses uh, and 
going sometimes generations of families that have committed their sort of lives to these businesses with sometimes high rent because they don't own the properties and overheads that is fixed. And, and we're going to come back. We're going to come back as a community. Uh, I do believe that with once we have the vaccine. And so we need to support the, the, the food industry. So we try to do that even at a personal level and try and make sure we order food from every, every restaurant we can not put on weight but <laughs> that's right and you make sure to cover them and then we do some fun food festivals when we're allowed to be all together again right which i hope isn't that too far away right so you you cut across so many different industries when you think about from business to medicine to sports to media um, and we've talked a lot about leadership today what do you think are some of the most important qualities that a leader needs to be successful i think a leader has to care at the end of the day, really, really care for whatever they about and be passionate about what they and and actually lead by example. I think if you lead by example, everybody will follow. So I think those are the, the at least that's how I try to sort of live our lives, right? And we work as hard as, as everybody else does. And, and there's not a, a feeling of self-entitlement. I think these are some of the properties I think is so important. But at the end of the day, a leader has to be care and be kind. I know it's a crazy um, statement for, but, you know, I think you get the best out of your people by caring and being kind. I think that's right. I, I always say, I think, I think the only, that what I would add is also to be optimistic, no matter what's going on. Yep. To be able to lead people out, you have to be, have to be optimistic and find that. Right. Well, Patrick, I know you're so busy. I want you to go back and keep working on getting us out of this situation, but I want to thank you so much for, for joining us today. This was a really fun conversation. Well, thank you, Kelly. You keep safe. And thank you again for supporting the city, supporting the paper, supporting the food, supporting the community. And you're such a great addition to the city. And thank you for being here. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Thank you for listening to our conversation with Dr. Patrick soon Xiong owner of the LA Times, and Kelly Coffey, CEO of City National Bank. For more information on the LA Times, visit latimes.com. To learn more about City National Bank, please visit cnb.com.